Amen. Thanks, Anna. I was um, reminded yesterday of a children's chorus, um, Jesus' love is very wonderful. Remember that one? Yeah. Anyone not know that one? Oh, you young people. <laughs> um, I don't know. Jesus' love is very wonderful. Jesus' love is very wonderful. Jesus' love is very wonderful. Wonderful love. That's it. Yeah. All right, all right. I've got to preach. That's, all right, all right. <laughs> um, but... Uh, bef- I, just, I was just thinking, because I, I went uh, to CPC at Men's Breakfast, and some of us will know Dave Meaton. Uh, some of us might know Norman Meaton. I went to see Dave, because Dave is over there speaking, and I went to this Men's Breakfast, and he was just talking about the love of God. So I said, I'm going to take some of what you said, because it's the context in which what I want to say. Uh, when we think about what motivates us, it's got to be the love of God, isn't it? And, um, and I, I, maybe you could say to the person next to you, say, God loves me far more than I know. Say that to the person next to you. God, God loves me far more than I can know. Come on, D. Come on. Have you? Because he does, doesn't he? His love is far, you know, so wide you can't get round it, so high you can't get over it. God's love for me is so beyond my understanding. You can even say to the person next to you, you could say, while I was sinning, God loved me, died for me. While I was sinning, God loved me and died for me. That's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth. And so when we, when we, when we just think and, and we acclimatise, don't we? Um, we acclimatise to everything that we're involved in. Um, it's part of our makeup, I think. We get used to things. I remember when my sister-in-law gave us a TV and our TV was, you know, normal. And this was this big. And she, she gave it to us. And it was like, wow, I feel like we're in the cinema and everything. And then now it's like, well, you kind of like get used to it, don't you? You get used to everything. And I think we just get used to the love of God. We get used to the knowledge of that. Um, let alone sometimes I think we just need often the experience of it to remind us and just to wake us up. So God loves us and God loves you. He loves me. He loves the church. And, um, and this is what Paul said. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. So I want you to remember these verses as we talk about making disciples. And I know I spoke about it a few weeks ago and we're going to speak more practically about it so we can think, what did Jesus do when he made his disciples? So that's the subject this morning. But this is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us, constrains us, they're all the same word, because we have concluded this, that that one has died for all, therefore all have died and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who their sake died and was raised. So there's something about the love of God that does something inside you that you just cannot but help. The motivation in us to do things for God comes from His great love for us. And I think it's important that we understand that, that often the secret to our actions is to ask God to show us afresh His love. And not just His love for me, but His love for the world. He says uh, that all have died, that they may no longer live for themselves. And this is his, his Paul's um, understanding. I no longer want to live for myself. This is the other verse I want you to remember, Philippians 2, 12 to 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, 
but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both, listen to this, this is, this is one of my favourite verses, is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is the work of God in us that makes me want to work for God. Um, David Platt, you, you're hearing his name a bit recently, said, says this, we were saved from work to work. We were saved from our works. You know, in other words, all of our actions, we could never be, um, never get right with God for our works. We were saved from that in order that we might work for God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You can, write, you can look at that one. That's another good verse, um, which says, what does it say? Uh, anyone? Oh, it's gone out of my mind. That's it, yeah. Um, for he, for, yes, what Steve said. Uh, you can look it up. Um, yes, he has, he has created us in Christ Jesus, do good works which he has prepared beforehand for us to do. That's it. We are his workmanship. That's it. Uh, amen. So our motivation should be God's love toward me, not because I feel a duty, although we sometimes, that's often how we operate, but that's not what God's design is. Not because I feel ashamed if I didn't or if I feel guilty by not. Um, it's because God's love is so radical that it charges me up, it causes me, it controls me that I must, I want to live for Jesus. That's what the love of God does. And if that's lacking, you cannot get there by working for Jesus. You get there by the revelation of his love, by recognising he loves me and he loves those around me. And so as, as the old adage, adage, is that a word? The old saying says, is it a word? Um, that, but um, I love him because he first loved me. Amen. So I want to talk about making disciples and I want to particularly talk about the practicalities of that. Because um, if we're called to go and make disciples, or what does Jesus do so that we can follow Jesus' example? How do we reorientate? How do we reposition our lives in order that we may be obedient to the Lord? That's, that's the, uh, the big question. But what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of a teacher, a leader, in our case, Jesus Christ, and disciples were a normal part of Jewish life. It was a very normal language. It's not really part of our Western language or as in that sense. Um, <clears throat> and all the teachers of Judaism would have had disciples. All the rabbis would have had people that would have followed and they would have left their own situation and then followed. And, and I think the, the saying is sat at the feet of their rabbi and they would have learned from their rabbi. And, um, and they would, in order that they may continue the teaching that they would have learned. So they became like their teacher. A disciple becomes like the master in which they're serving. And uh, a disciple is a follower of Jesus in order to become like Jesus. And um, Jesus had how many disciples? No, more. Actually, we know that by when Jesus um, went back up into heaven, there were about 500 disciples. See, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. Um, and often we talk about the 12 disciples, but actually they were the 12 apostles. Um, there is in Luke 6, Jesus went quite early on in that time. He went and he prayed, look at it later, to decide who were the 12 that he would take out from the many in order to spend time with them to, um, uh, to build them up and encourage them in order that they might be, except for one of them, 
um, leaders of, of the church, if you like, going forward. And so there were many, there were many um, disciples and Jesus chose 12 of them particularly, but they were many. The other thing is, you remember when he sent out 72, two by two of his disciples. So, and um, instead of what is a disciple, we could say, well, what is a Christian? And um, <clears throat> is, a Christian, is a disciple a special type of Christian? Do you have um, Christians and then the, the disciple kind of Christians? What is a disciple? How do we relate to that? And I asked a, a question in our community group just as everyone was leaving. I said, can you be a, is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? Can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? And, and I think that's a really important question. And I'll, let, I'll leave you to make up your mind. I mean, you probably get what I think about that um, as I go through. But Jesus didn't commission the church to go and make believers. He didn't commission the church to go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. So we need to know what a disciple is. And of course, a disciple starts with believing that Jesus exists. It starts at believing that he is the son of God. And it starts by believing that he is the salvation of our souls through his work on the cross. It, it requires a belief in the resurrection. And it requires a belief in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, it requires all these beliefs. But beliefs are nothing unless there is an action associated with it. Because believing is a doing word, isn't it? It's a, it's a verb. So discipleship is rooted in following Jesus, being like Jesus, allowing Jesus to work in us, work out through us. Um, his love, his word, his life, it all comes through us. The word that uh, we were talking about on Tuesday was uh, we are conduits of Jesus' blessing of his life in the world. That's what a disciple is. So it's someone who becomes the one who he follows. And Jesus didn't mince his words when he came to his followers. I'm going to go through quite a lot of the um, scriptures here. But you can follow it if you want to. Um, it, starting at Luke 9. This is Jesus' idea of a disciple. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but ever, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So the first thing we need for disciples, if we are disciples, this should be our motivation, our, our attitude, is that we must deny ourselves. That means that our own self-desires, our own orientation around ourself must die and, uh, and we should desire the things that God has and we should be God-centred or Christ-centred rather than self-centred. And one of the ways we can look at that is how often are we doing what we want and how often are we doing what God wants? And one of the greatest challenges of the church and what discipleship is for is helping people understand what does God want for you and what you're doing about it? What's God saying to you and what you're doing about it? And often you might find if you ask that question, what's God been speaking to you about? And um, it's quite easily, it's like, oh, crumbs, I, I, do you know what? I don't know. When was the last time I put myself in a position to listen to God? What's God saying to me in this situation, that situation? That's a God orientated life, isn't it? It's where I'm not allowing myself to determine my life. I'm allowing God to determine my life. Luke 14, 26, 27. 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I think one of the challenges the church faces in the world today is that that kind of message of discipleship is not preached. There's a believer, self, if you like, self-centred believer. I'm, I'm exaggerating for effect, but I think sometimes this is true. It's a me-orientated salvation. What God does for me and how God helps me has become a Christian norm in many people's lives when, when in fact he says, no, me must die and you must be for God alone. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus would gather of this big following and he'd turn around and say, unless you hate your father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even your own life, you have no, you cannot be my disciple, you've got no part in me. And many would turn and leave. And this is where we have to go back to the, to the motivation. Hold on a minute. How do we fit this with God loves me so much? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. How do you match that up with you've got to hate your father and your mother? Well, clearly he doesn't mean that we need to hate our wives because he's, he's the one who helps me love my wife. Now, that'd be a bit of a contradiction, wouldn't it? Um, how, do, how can I hate my children? What he's saying is this, he's saying, you've got to put God first before your own life. Are you putting God before your own life? Or is God there to help you do what you want to do? That's a self-centred Christian in inverted commas. See, someone quite easily may believe that God exists, and we know, many of us will know the scripture, but the devil believes and trembles. It's not about just believing. Believing is the entry point into the understanding that it's got to be God in everything. And we have to, Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, I think Paul understood that the greatest treasure of his life was all in God and he had to kill himself off in order to receive the great blessing of knowing Jesus. See, some might hear that and say, you've got to stop this, hate this, deny yourself. Say, but, so I've got to give up and give up all this stuff. And Jesus is saying, yes. But it's a bit like the man, you know, the story of the emperor's new clothes, I think it is. I, can't, I, mean, I might have the story mixed up, so I'm going to make one up in case. This, this guy is a beggar and he comes off the streets and he gets taken into the royal household. He takes into this wonderful room and he says, look at your new robes. And yet, and he, take, and he puts on these new robes, but he, in a sense, he doesn't want to give up his old rags. So he carries on wearing his rags. It's a story a bit like that. It's kind of like that. It's kind of very powerful and impactful story. But the point is this. We think the treasure of the world and the treasure of the flesh and natural stuff is, is, is too much to give up in order that we may lay hold of the tre heavenly treasure of knowing Jesus. And that's the reality. Jesus is saying, I want you to know the fullness of my love, John. So you've got to die to yourself that you may take hold of the joy of me, Jesus. And that's what is underlying these things. This is what Paul says, whatever gain I had, Philippians 3, 7 to 11. Sorry, I'm, I'm really going fast on these verses, but there's a lot of them. 
Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I must confess, I pray for a greater revelation of that, what he had. Don't you? If we could see all of our stuff of this world in the light of who he is, it would be easy to give up. I mean, I say easy, but listen to this. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, and that's the polite word, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, to abandon everything for God is the greater blessing. To put God first for my family is the greatest way I can love my family. As soon as they become more important to me than God is, I will neglect them. And I will neglect my marriage. To put God first, to trust God above anything and anyone else is what it means to be a disciple. See, Paul understood that the path to blessing was paved with suffering. Do you like that? Can someone tweet that? Instagram it. The path of blessing is paved with suffering or the path of blessing was through self-denial. You want to be blessed of God? Do you want the riches of his life and of the moving, the power of the Holy Spirit, the opening of our eyes to see the joy of God, to see in the, in the darkness and the death of this world, to see where God's light is shining through the people that are annoying you or around, you know, struggling and in the poverty or in the challenges and the difficulty, all these kind of things. And to see in that, to see what God is doing. That's what I want. Because if we're looking in the natural and we're always in the natural, there's no way I'm going to do that because that's just... I'm happy to go to church, John. I'm happy to go to the meetings. I'm happy to go to the prayer meetings. I'm happy to do all the things that I'm quite happy to do. But don't ask me this. I was going to look for that song. Has anyone heard that song, Please Don't Send Me to Africa? <laughs> Have you said it? It's like, you know, I, I've, I, will, I will do the communion. I will take up the collection. But please don't send me to Africa. And I was looking. I thought, this good. But then you realise it's an old, like, 70s. And I realised it was actually quite racist. And I thought, oh, what a shame. <laughs> It's amazing how we, we, have, we have come round to some good ways of thinking in this day and age. And, um, I said that and you didn't win actually um, Africa. Yeah. You ended up in Africa. <laughs> With a lion. <laughs> Amen. Be careful what you say no to, just as much as you say careful what you say yes to. But this is the great desire, I think, of the Father. This is what discipleship is. When you hear these things, if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. It's not because God is just wanting to make it tough for us, but because that's the root of blessing. And how much do we just don't even enter into because we're holding on? I think it was someone yesterday I talking about, you remember the story of the monkey, you know, the monkey with the jar, you know, he puts his hand in, he grabs all the sweets, but he can't get his hand out because he's, he's grabbing it all. It's, it's still like we, we need to realise what we're trying to grab and what we're missing out on. And disciples make disciples. I think it's impossible for a disciple, someone who loves God, to not have a desire in their, in their heart to see others love God. For someone who is loved by God to be able to not to ignore the desire that others may know the love of God. 
And I think what it is, sometimes we just don't necessarily know, how can I do this? How, where do I start? What's, what are my expectations? How can I actually go about doing this? And, um, and this is where uh, I think it's quite good for us as a church to think about how am I positioning my life, and I've been thinking about this a lot, what am I doing with my time? What, how, what is important to me? Well, who am I spending my time with? And a lot of it is about time. What do we do? How are we doing it? In order that I may respond to the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And it certainly makes you look at what you do with your time. That's my experience. And it certainly pushes your boundaries a bit. And um, okay, six steps to making disciples. So I want to get practical. And, um, and what all of these points are reflections on what Jesus did. But you can also parallel them with what Paul did. So if, you know, obviously Jesus is our, is our goal, but you can also see how the apostles did this, and particularly Paul, because a lot of Paul's writings. And so I've got six steps to making disciples. And what I would like you to do as we go through this quite practically is, first of all, think a bit about, don't necessarily look at the end goal. We're not results driven. We're available to God and be available to Him <clears throat> wherever God puts us in the path. We're not just looking for results. We're not salespeople. We're not looking to close deals. We're just saying, Lord, how can I journey with people? Where do I start? And, um, and then you can know different steps. And these are the kind of things, again, I want to just encourage you to consider. And the first, the first point is this. I hope you can see this. Um, be visible. Luke 4, 14. And this is before Jesus called any of his disciples. Um, again, you can follow this. Luke is very good. Matthew, all the gospel, you can follow the life of Jesus. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit of Galilee. So this is after the temptations. And a report about him went out through the, all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. The first thing Jesus did before he even called any disciples to follow him, he was out and about in the synagogues. He was out in the villages. He was preaching the good news. In other words, I've simplified this too. He was being visible. He is being visible. I can't remember. We, again, we had some of these conversations on Tuesday and um, we were talking about um, how, I remember a statistic, how long it can take for someone to, to become a Christian. I think it was within five years, have no non-Christian friends because the church is very good at creating a community. And, and the thing is, we become completely invisible to the world. We, we may go and live in the world and go to work in the world, but all of our friendships and all of our social environment is all within a Christian context, a Christian uh, culture, if you like. Um, our conversation can be very Christian. There's another, there's another song um, um, which you can Google called... Um, oh. Um, we're speaking Christianese or something. There's, it was a play on the song, we're, we're talking Japanese, that one from 1980s, anyone? There's a Christianese one. Uh, we have our own language, praise God by the blood of the lamb, amen. The lion and the lamb, praise Jesus, glory, you know. We have our own language and no one knows what on earth we're talking about. <clears throat> We've got to be visible. And this is one of the great challenges. I've said this before many times. There was a time when Jan and I came to this conclusion. Uh, I think it was me, first of all, because I never make a suggestion to Jan unless I've first gone somewhere down that route. Well, I don't know, do I? I don't know. I, I realised I had no non-Christian friends. 
And so what I did was I started to, I thought, I'm going to go, I heard someone tell a story about a pastor would do his preparation in a cafe and that was how he met people. So I thought, I'm going to go and sit in a cafe. And I ended up doing that. I went to one, didn't really get to know anyone. I went to uh, Marks and Spencer's, got to know lots of old people, which was lovely. Still know sometimes one lady when I see her. And then I went down the Tudor Bar and that was the beginning of getting to know people. And then that just opened up a whole range of people. Heard they were going to start a choir then. So I told Jana, Jana went and joined the choir and there was mums from school and all this. Suddenly we had the problem of how to spend time with our Christian friends and how to spend time with our non-Christian friends. And, um, and that was wonderful. It started just to open us up and starting us just to go and see people and we became visible. We started to see actually, it, we weren't going around preaching to people and telling people how they need to be born again. We were just ourselves and conversation came. We were just being visible. And Paul was, when you look at Paul's life, and don't have to turn to this, go to Acts 9, you will see how he, <clears throat> quite early on in his ministry, he talks about how he comes back from Damascus and then within, turn the page and it talks about and Paul and his disciples. Paul was hidden away for a while. He came out, started to move and people were drawn to him. He was visible so that's the, first, that's the first challenge, I think, for many of us, because often um, what, what we've talked about in previous years is how do we, I've got, all my work colleagues live north of London, or, you know, I work so many hours, how do I start to be visible amongst people in this community? And part of the vision of the cafe is to create opportunity where we can be visible. And it's lovely seeing, I was talking to Doreen not long ago, I was sitting in the cafe watching Doreen being visible by just going up and just chatting to people. It was, someone was sitting on the table there and she just went and talked. And she didn't go, praise God, Jesus lives, amen. She just said, oh, hello, how are you? It was very normal. Praise God for normality in that sense. Amen? Number two, be invitational. Mark 16, Mark 1, 16, 17, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Just go slightly on and you will see how Jesus is walking past Levi and he just calls, he says, follow me. And Jesus is inviting them in. And I think I've mentioned this before, how often they would have to go to, uh, um, to, to follow a rabbi, you had to go for a certain procedure. Maybe you've been in a certain level of teaching. These guys were just ordinary fishermen. In fact, Levi was a tax collector. He was the worst of the worst. And Jesus has invited them into his life. And, um, and I, th- I think something is very challenging about that, isn't it? When not only being visible, but then actually inviting someone into life can be very challenging because that starts to tread on your comfort areas. Um, but essentially it's this. It's about why don't we just chill out and just walk together? It's not, you don't have to say to someone, you know... Um, Oh, Dave, do you want to come and be my disciple? <laughs> no, why don't we just hang out? Do you want to come round? Do you want to have a coffee? Do you want to go have a meal? Do you want to go to the cinema? How do you develop normal, meaningful relationships and see what God does? See, invitation into community amongst others is a powerful means of discipleship. Just bring people into your friends. And this is what we have as a church, this powerful place of community. And when we do things with others, it certainly lightens the load, doesn't it? Because I've only got a certain amount of availability. 
But when I start to look at other guys and things like that, I think, you know what? When I'm not busy, or when I'm busy, you're not busy, that's a lot of time that we can give to people. It's a lot of time where we can spend time with people. And then we've got different gifts and personalities and, you know, I'm not, I'm not like Seamus. Praise God, Seamus isn't like me. There's a real value and a beauty in that, that we are different. Isn't that wonderful? That's not a negative, by the way. But... <laughs> Acts 16, Paul meets this young man, Timothy, and he invites him to journey with him. Tim, read t- Timothy and Titus. And you can see how Paul was discipling these guys. And Paul even called him a son in the faith. So be invitational. First be visible, then be invitational. Number three, be prayerful. Luke 6, 12, mentioned this already. Jesus has all these followers and he goes up and he spends a night in prayer. This is Luke 6, verse 12. Um, He went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. See, it might not be that you spend a night in prayer and then you go and call 12 people and say, you shall be my apostles, duck. You shall be my disciple." And uh, that's probably not going to go down too well in our context. But maybe it's like, Lord, will you just lay someone on my heart that I can just go and give them a call? Who can I just go and say, do you fancy going out? Or do you want to, let's, should we get together? Be prayerful. Jesus was prayerful and he prayed and God put these people on his heart and he led them, Judas obviously not being one of them, but they became the, the, uh, the beginning of the church. Who knows who God is going to bring into your orbit and that you could invite in. But do it prayerfully. Maybe you could start praying for your unbelieving friends or neighbours. Start with prayer and pray. I remember we, I wanted to, um, I had a, like a cheese on mine night and, and I had a strategy because I had two friends that basically I wanted to introduce to Mark and Hannah. And, uh, and so in the early morning prayer meetings, some of you guys might remember, we prayed for this couple up until, I also invited some others, um, up until this time, just so that they would come and that they would connect in some way to Mark and Hannah. And they came and they did. To this day, they still are. And they've come to the church. They've come around our house. We've been around their house. We have food together. We talk about the Lord together. We prayed for their baby and all this kind of thing. And again, this isn't results driven. This is Lord, let's journey. In what way can we encourage and participate in what it means to be discipling people? So be prayerful, connect with God, find out for him what he is doing and then get on board with it. Amen? This isn't um, rocket science, is it? I mean, there's a number of times um, Paul, Paul says to Timothy, he says, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Constantly in my prayers night and day. Number four, be practical. Jesus taught his disciples, he expounded the scripture, if, um, or he preached what became our scripture. You think about the Sermon on the Mount. And then he said things like, they were saying, Lord, show us how to pray. And he said, okay, when you pray, do this or say this. Or when you fast, don't do this, do this. And, and I think, you know, it's an interesting thing. In our church kind of history, when we have our prayer meetings, it kind of goes like this, generally, our default kind of position. We all just bow our heads and then we just pray. 
We're quite spontaneous. We're not one of liturgy. We don't necessarily read out prayers, and I don't have a problem with that. If it comes from the motivation of our heart, every prayer is accepted before the Lord, wherever you get it from. But it's not actually easy to suddenly just start to pray. And some people need help to learn how to pray. And what if you actually said, do you pray? Oh, I don't really know. Okay, let's just pray now. I'll show you how I do it. And maybe you could do it as well. I say this. I say, I say Lord God. And then, I, then I'll, just, I'll give thanks. I just want to thank you for your love. And then I just ask him, Lord, will you just come and help me with this? And then you just show people how to do it. Be practical. It might be where Jesus said, you know, when you pray, get on your own or <clears throat> go into your closet. Don't be like the religious lot. Don't be really, really repetitive. Don't do all these things. Do it this way. Why can't we do that? Someone says, <clears throat> I'd love to be able to read the Bible, but I don't know how. How do you do it? Okay, well, why don't I show you? This is how I do it. I read a few verses, then I think about it. And then I, sometimes I just pray and I say, Lord, how does this work? How do you spend time with God? Well, sometimes I just sit in quietness and I just think on a verse and ask God to speak to me. Or I just want to just lay everything else aside and I'm just going to worship. Oh, I might put a worship song on. Why don't we do that together? You ever thought about doing that, having your quiet time with someone else to show them how to do it? Luke 9, verse 1 to 6. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Jesus gathers us. Okay, guys, this is what I want you to do. This is how you're going to do itinerant ministry. I'm going to get you into pairs so you can walk together. Don't carry all this stuff. Knock on a door. If they receive you, go in, stay. Very practical guidelines, isn't it? What about you? What about if I did that? I said, okay, well, let's do this together then. I'll show you what I do. It's only, this is what I do. It's okay to show people what you do. They might find their own way a bit later on. So how do you pray? How do you read your Bible? How do you deal with worry? How do you deal with worry? Someone's really worried. Okay, well, look, this is what I do. I get these verses out and I read these and I tell myself, John, God is bigger, God is greater, and I speak it to myself and I, you know, I don't know what your process is, and you show someone how to do it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Did he mean that in some kind of airy-fairy spiritual sense? Or did he say, look, this is what I do, you do it. I think he said to Timothy, what I gave to you, teach to others. And I don't just think it's theology. I think it was practical, it was helpful. So be practical. Um, <clears throat> this is what he says, I think this is in 2 Timothy 3 verse 10. At the end of that, he says, continue in what you have learned and have faithfully believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch. In other words, you've seen all these things, you've followed them. 
my teaching, my conduct. That's the, his disciple is saying, he's saying, look, I will, if, I will show you what you do. Let's, let's go prayer walk. This is what I do. Now you do it. And I know that we don't want to take on this kind of rabbi-disciple kind of relationship, but there's nothing wrong with talking to someone and saying, look, if you want to learn how I can show you what I do, but my goal is that you can learn from the Lord. Amen? Okay. Number five, be challenging. See, not many of us like to be challenging. And um, this is what Matthew, uh, this, I'll just read this passage from Jesus because this is a good example of Jesus being challenging. Matthew 16, 13 to 25. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And um, we'll just stop there for a minute. Can you imagine Peter's thinking, wow. <laughs> um, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, this is my in, little kind of addition here, full of himself, from that great encouragement said, took him aside and, and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What a challenge. God, he, God Jesus loves to encourage, amen. I really want to encourage you this morning. Get ye behind me, Satan. I don't recommend you challenging people like that. But Jesus wasn't afraid of challenging people. Sometimes we need a bit of a wake up. We need a bit of a challenge. It's like, hold on a minute. What are you doing with yourself? In love. When you have a relationship in love, don't walk up to someone. I'm not going to walk up to Teresa and say, what are you doing with yourself, Teresa? Um, but when there's something to challenge them, but it's done in the context, remember, of love. And I find this question, what is God saying to you and what are you doing about it? One of the most challenging questions if we take it seriously. What's God saying to you and what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? That's a challenge, isn't it? We're not going to mollycoddle people to hell, are we? We want to challenge people if it gets some right with God and get some understanding and, and, and enjoying the full blessing that God has for them. So when you invite people in, you show them your love, you encourage them, you support them, be open to them, but also be willing to challenge them. Paul was not afraid of challenging Peter. Just read Galatians if you want to understand about Paul's challenge. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I think is the old, it's the old English. Number six, the last one. Be supportive. What can you do to support what God is doing in someone else. Someone comes to you and says, I really feel challenged at the moment. I need to, I need to go and just knock, knock at my neighbour's door. Okay, I'll come with you. 
I'll come with you. I, I feel, I remember someone saying to me that someone, this was a story that they recounted. They said, someone felt that God said, I want you to get a big flag with Jesus or something on it. I want you to walk around your neighbour with a big flag. So this other guy said, okay. He's like, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> he said, I'll come with you. So this other guy just went with him. What a support. What are you willing to do? What am I willing to do? If I hear someone, I just really feel that God is saying that I should fast for three days and pray. Okay, I'll do it with you. Isn't that wonderful just to be able to support people? Isn't that what Jesus did through his life when he sent out the, the, the 12 and the 72 as his way of saying, right, now you go for it. And, and we hear often in the words, in the Great Commission, right at the very end, the words, and I shall be with you always. Jesus was a wonderful encouragement. I know there's been times, I remember I was, I was thinking about when Hannah and Mark did barbecues out in their front. Then there was, a, there was not just us, but there was others, Tanner and Angel, I think Guy and Sally came to, and the, the community group to support what they were doing. Remember going round to Constantine and Lena's um, uh, ages ago when they lived over in um, their previous house, where it was. Uh, they invited their neighbours in and they were English neighbours and we went to support them and they went, one of the guys went to the same school as me, not in my year. But we did that purely to support them wanting to open up their home to their neighbours. Are we willing to support people? Are you willing to go and maybe do something like someone says, I really feel like I need to read the Bible in a year. Okay, I'll do it with you. I'll do it with you. We get together once a week. We make sure that we're all caught up on that day and then we text each other. How did you get on? What did you think of that? Are you willing to support people? This is where it starts to encroach upon your life and you have to ask yourself, is my life in the right shape and positioning in order that I can do this? Well, I can't do that because, you know, I, I'm too busy. I love this. Uh, this is uh, Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon, this is Jesus speaking. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I pray for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What an encouragement. You know, you're going to fall on your face, but don't worry, I'm still with you. Amen. And you get up and you go and strengthen your brothers. You've got a task to do. What a wonderful thing. You can look at the life of Paul and Timothy where he, he forever encourages him in his work. He says, don't forget the gift that you received. Don't let anyone neglect your youth. You teach them men, you hold them to account. He, he led churches in the whole region, house churches. He was a young man. And Paul was there, I'm right with you to be a support. So be visible, be invitational, be prayerful, practical, challenging and supportive. There's six steps. Now you might look at that and think, where, maybe you're somewhere in that with some people. Maybe you're there at the practical stage, just walking with people. Or you're thinking, where do I start? Maybe it's about being visible. And maybe it's being invitational. So let's go back to our last verse, our first verse. Our motivation is love for God. And work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I really hope that as you consider these things, you will ask yourself about, just as I have been, how am I, should I maybe make changes in my life in order that I can make room for this? And that makes me go, oh, kind of like my life, really. But Lord, will you come and will and work in me a will that will follow after you in your ways? So if there's an oh in you, 
Let's invite Jesus in. Will you reveal your love afresh to me? Amen. I want to leave a big question. As we consider, as we pray over these four weeks, just maybe for this week, consider this. How can the way we do church encourage, enable and release people to go and make disciples? Same for you to consider and pray into. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your example. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the great privilege of being able to be used by you. Lord, we don't need all great uh, learning and techniques and models, though they may be beneficial, but we just need to be willing, to be loving, to be available, Lord. And will you give us a heart for these things? We ask you, Lord, to do the work in us, that we may step back and say, look what God has done. And Lord, we just pray that you may really bless us. As we enter these four weeks of prayer and seeking you and just fellowship together, Lord, we believe that you will bring us to one heart and one mind together. So Lord, we do just pray, Lord, will you help us to understand these things and do something about it? In Jesus' name, amen.